We're now in week three of our DNA series as we explore some of the distinctives of the Bride of Christ, the local church. And so we're trying to answer the question, uh, what makes us unique? What's different about a church than any other organization uh, in the world? What makes us different than a, a social club or a health club or a rotary club? What, you name it. What makes us different than anything else out there? And the truth of the matter is there's so much misinformation out there about what the church is and about why we exist. I would guess that even many of you in this room probably came from dysfunctional, unhealthy, perhaps even abusive uh, church cultures, church backgrounds. So probably even for some of us in this room, maybe we even have a skewed understanding of what the church is, what the local church is, what the purpose of the church is. And so uh, my hope in this series is that we can gain some real clarity about the DNA of the church and how she was designed to function by God. And so I think over the course of the last two weeks, we're off to a good start. At least I hope we are. Uh, so far in this series, we've addressed what the church is not. All right, so there's a lot of misconceptions out there. A lot of people think that church is like this building. Church is not a building. Church is not an institution. It's not a social club. Church is not even an event that you come to for an hour on Sunday morning. It's, it's, it's ultimately, it's none of that. A local church, as described in the scriptures, is a, it's a family, right? It's a gospel community. And as such, God has designed the believer, if you're here as a follower of Jesus, he's designed it for you to belong to, to be a part of a local church. And so week one, we talked about the importance of local church membership. Uh, super excited by how many of you have responded and uh, registered for our next membership uh, class. I think the, the largest class we've had, at least since I've been here. So really encouraged by that. And then last week, we talked about baptism. Like, why do we, when people decide to follow Jesus, why do we push them underwater? Isn't that kind of, kind of weird? And so we talked about why we do it. We talked about why it's important, why it's part of the DNA uh, for the believer and for the local church. And uh, just last week, we had 13, 14 of you who signed up to be baptized. And so super excited about that. You guys, it's almost like you actually listen to the word of God and you believe it and respond. It's amazing how, how that works. So just listen, if you're here and maybe you're on the fence, that baptism fence, that I know there are a lot of believers here that come from different backgrounds and you're thinking, yes, I know I need to make that step of obedience in my faith walk, my faith journey, but I'm nervous for whatever reason. Let me just encourage you, let's go ahead and do it. Let's do it. Fill out that Connect card. We'll be in touch with you this week. If you're on that baptism fence as a believer, listen, I'm just telling you, it's nice over here. right? On the post-baptism side of the fence, it's really nice. Come on over. Uh, you'll like it. And this week, we're going to be talking about another element that marks the local church, another element that marks the bride of Christ. And that's the preaching of or the proclamation of uh, God's word, right? The, the word of God, the Bible, the proclamation of these, these ancient words in an ancient book that we believe are inspired by God and that these words actually breathe life into this family, breathe life into this community. And in my opinion, this is actually probably the most important trait of a biblical church because it's the one trait that determines all the others. Like, for example, if we get this wrong, like if we veer off and we just start preaching man's opinions or theories or whatever else, everything else that we do is gonna go sideways really, really quickly. I mean, we've seen this 
time and again in churches and even entire denominations, have we not? I mean, like all across our country, all across the world, right? They, they move away from faithfully preaching God's word and in no time flat, they drift and they lose God's power, they lose his presence and they either die or begin to die or they drift into some form of irrelevance. So listen, if you've been around New Life for any time at all, you know that we are, or at least we try to be a gospel-centered, a word-rooted, a Jesus-exalting church. It's like we really believe that this stuff is true. That's shocking to some people. We actually believe that this is true, and we do our best to, to live it out. And maybe you've even wondered at times, man, why do they, why do they open up the Bible every single week? Like every single Sunday. Why can't we just have... Like one Sunday a month where we do nothing but sing. Or why can't we have once every other Sunday where we just do something else, anything else? And I, the reality is I suppose we could do that. But let me tell you why we place such a high priority on opening up this ancient book and proclaiming it as if our very lives depended on it. And it's because ultimately, in a very real sense, our, our lives do depend on it. See, at, at our core, what we all need is to hear from God. At our core, that's ultimately what we need. We need to know God. And when we open up this, this book, when we preach it, we are hearing from God. We are hearing his, his words empowered by his spirit. Like it just, it just does something to us, right? It, it moves us. It has the power to, to change our hearts, to change our attitudes, to change our behaviors. It, it, it moves us. It changes us. You know, as I've said before, listen, our, our goal each week is not, is never for you to walk out of this place saying, man, what a great sermon, or wow, what a, what a great pastor, or what a great, what a great uh, worship team, or what a great uh, song we sing. Like, that's, that's, not, that's never our goal. That's never my goal. Our goal is for you to walk out of here saying, what a great Savior. What a great Savior. Isn't Jesus awesome? Isn't he beautiful? Isn't Jesus worthy of just like giving our lives away to? So why do we preach the word? If you have a Bible, go ahead and grab it. Open it up, turn it on. Make your way to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy, we're gonna start in chapter three. We are gonna move around a bit uh, today, but uh, 2 Timothy three and four will be kind of our anchor text. It's a small little book back of your uh, uh, Bible in the New Testament. Now, 2 Timothy is a letter uh, written by the Apostle Paul uh, to a young man, a young pastor uh, named Timothy. And we're going to start in verse 14 of chapter 3. Paul, Paul writes, But as for you, Timothy, he's speaking to Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. He's talking about the Bible at the time. The Bible consisted of the Old Testament. What you have learned from the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Verse 16. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for the training in righteousness that the man or woman of God may be complete equipped for every good work. And so Paul says, Timothy, listen, I want you to continue learning it. These scriptures, the, the word of God, I want you to continue in them, continue learning it. I want you to continue believing it. Why, Paul? Because Paul says, it is God-breathed. These are the very words of God, Timothy. Chapter four, verse one, he continues this thought. He says, 
I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Church, I would submit to you that that time is now. We're seeing that time. Verse five, as for you, Timothy, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of the evangelist, fulfill your ministry. And he just told him how you do that. You, you preach the word, Timothy. You preach the word faithfully. And so Paul says to Timothy, listen, Timothy, this is what I want you to be about in your ministry. This is what I want you to invest in as you go throughout your life. I want you to preach these sacred writings because all scriptures, God breathed. They're, they're literally the words of God himself. Like, Timothy, if you, if you wanna see transformation, Timothy, if you want to see God's power, if you want to see life change, if you want to see dead people come to life, find life in Jesus, preach this word. So here's kind of the first truth I want you to see this morning if you're taking notes. We preach the word because God speaks to us through his word. See, friend, you don't need to hear from me. You don't need to hear from me. You don't need my opinions You come here, you don't need to hear from from any man at all. You come here and what you need more than anything in your life, whether you realize it or not, is to encounter the living God of this universe. You need to hear his his words. You need to hear the words of of a living God, an active God who's active in this world. He's active in your life. A God who has something to say to you. A God who desires to speak into your life and speak into your heart in a way that would transform you. That's what you need. That's what I need. And so we, we preach the word because our souls need nothing less than to hear the very words of God himself that bring us life. I had some, someone come up to me at a, another church during a, an election year, and they asked me, they said, Chris, when are you going to get on the stage in the church, and when are you going to endorse a presidential candidate from the stage? And I'm kind of sarcastic, so... I said, listen, I will, I will get on that stage in the church and I will endorse a political candidate the day that hell freezes over. Because listen to me, I've got all kinds of opinions on all sorts of things. Ask my wife, but you don't need my opinions. You don't need my clever thoughts. You need to hear from God. And we hear from him when we open his book and we proclaim his word. Paul said to Timothy, listen, Timothy, I charge you. In other words, this is not like, this is not optional for you, Timothy. I charge you, preach the word of God. In other words, Timothy, your primary duty, young Timothy, as a pastor, as a shepherd, is not to give people your opinions because your opinions don't have the power to change anybody's life or set them free, but God's words, the God-breathed, Word will shake people to their core. It will transform their hearts forever. God speaks to us through his word. So we must be a people. We must be a community. We must be a church here at New Life that is rooted in the word of God. I want to show you something profound in John's gospel. Uh, Chapter 5, this will be on the screens for you. But 
Jesus is uh, kind of at the beginning of his earthly ministry. He's out. He's preaching. He's healing people all over. And uh, on one Sabbath day, uh, Jesus comes across this paralyzed guy, and, and he heals the guy on the Sabbath. And so the Pharisees, these religious leaders, these legalistic religious leaders, they go nuts. They're ticked off. They start trying to kill Jesus because they thought that he was breaking the Old Testament rules by working on, a, on the Sabbath. So like, Jesus, you can't, you can't heal people, man. You can't, you can't give people a life. You can't heal them on the Sabbath because the Sabbath is supposed to be a day of rest. And his answer to these religious hypocrites uh, is stunning. Look at John chapter 5, verse 39. Jesus answers to these Pharisees. He says, you search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life. And it is they, the scriptures, the Bible, that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Jesus looked at these Pharisees and says, look, this book that you love so much and you think that you're going to find eternal life in this book, this whole thing is about me. You think you're going to find eternal life in this book. The whole book, the entirety of the book, Old Testament, New Testament, is trying to point you to me and you've missed the whole point. Now here's the scary thing to me, church, especially as a pastor, and I want you to, I want you to hear this. It is possible for you to know the Bible, as these Pharisees certainly would have way better than any of us in this room. It is possible for you to come to church on a regular basis. It is possible for you to be a praying person. It is possible for you to be spiritual. It is possible for you to be a religious person and still miss the whole point. To miss the, the whole point. And the whole point, Jesus is saying, is, is me. And so we preach the word week after week because it points us to our one hope. It points us to our only hope in this life, and that is hope in Jesus Christ, the crucified and resurrected Savior. It leads us right into our second truth this morning. Listen, we must preach the word because the word points us to Jesus. The word points us to Jesus. So God speaks through his word, but ultimately the whole purpose of it is to point us to Jesus. He is the hero that stands at the center of this story. So listen, ultimately this book, the Bible is not about you. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's a book about redemption. It's a book about a, a God who, who loves sinners and rebels so relentlessly that he was willing to come into our mess and to live the life that we should have lived and to die the death that we deserved to free us from the slavery that we had no way of freeing, freeing ourselves from. That's the story of the Bible. And at the center of it stands the Savior, stands Jesus. In Old Testament, New Testament, it's all ultimately about Jesus. And so until the day that he returns, we must proclaim a crucified and risen Jesus through his word. Listen to the words of the Apostle Paul as he writes the church in a city called Corinth. This is what he says. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. My speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Now we know from the book of Acts and other New Testament writings that Paul's pattern of preaching was to preach the Bible. 
He would preach the Old Testament, and then he would bridge it. He would connect it to Jesus. That's what Paul did. That's what Peter did. That's what the disciples did. That's what the early church did. So Paul goes, look, I didn't, I didn't come to you guys with lofty speech or wisdom. I wasn't some kind of like eloquent, charismatic speaker. All, I come to you, and I'm telling you, all I have is Jesus. All I have is Jesus and him crucified. And by the way, that's where the spirit and the power of God are found. So I just want to say to you this morning in 2018, what Paul said to the church in Corinth so many years ago, listen, we have nothing of substance or value to offer you here except Jesus. Like if you come here and you're looking for like a fog machine and laser shows, you're going to be really disappointed. Every week you're going to be disappointed. We have nothing but Jesus to offer you and we find Jesus in his word. And so help us, God, by his grace, as long as we have breath in our lungs, we will preach a crucified and risen Jesus who has the power to transform your heart. And we will do it by opening his word and preaching it week after week as if our very lives depended on it because in the ultimate sense, they do. We need Jesus. The scriptures point us to Jesus. And so we preach the word. We preach it unapologetically. We preach it passionately. We love this word. It gives us hope and it points us to life and freedom in Jesus. I want you to see one more thing. We'll start to land the plane. Hebrews 4, uh, beginning in verse 12. For the word of God is living and it is active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and of spirit, of joints, and of marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Friend, God's word is living and it is active. It is so powerful, in fact, that it can, it can penetrate to the deepest parts of who you are. I can't do that, but God can, and he does through his word. There's no book like this book. No book has the power that this book has to, to reach into your soul and begin to shape you and form you and change you. And that's been true in, in my life when I've had seasons of, of doubt in my life. Doubts about different things, maybe God's goodness, maybe his love for me. I can go and I can sit and I can read these ancient words in this ancient book and I cannot explain it to you, church, but somehow, in a supernatural way, God's spirit confirms to my heart that this is true. That it's absolutely true. And listen, I've read a lot of books. I've read a lot of religious books and church books and supposed holy books. Nothing speaks to my heart the way that this book does. And Paul says the reason why is these are the very words of God. These words are breathed out by God. God breathes words. I don't know about you, but I need to hear from God in my life. I need him to help me change. Here's the last uh, truth that I want you to see this morning. It's this. God's word changes us. Changes us. So God speaks to us through his word. His word points us to Jesus, which is where we find life and hope. His word also changes us. Uh, the president of the International Mission Board, which is the Missions agency, agency that Cheryl and I worked with in Asia back years ago. His name is Dr. David Platt. He's also a pastor. And uh, he oftentimes, he loves to tell this story, and it's a, it's a good story, so I'm totally stealing it from him and giving it to you this morning. But he tells this story of one of our missionaries who was in some, some far away place. And the missionary was walking around on the streets, 
and uh, basically he had a New Testament Bible with him, and he was just looking for people that he could engage, start a conversation with, and share the good news of Jesus with. And so he engages this one guy, and they're having a conversation literally on the street, and he's talking to him about Jesus. I mean, like, like God loves you so much. He sent Jesus, and you can find forgiveness and hope and freedom and everything through him. And so he's just laying out the gospel. And he notices this guy that he's talking to, like, really isn't paying attention to anything that he says. He's just got his eyes locked in on the Bible. He's just like, he's watching the Bible. I said, man, this is kind of weird. This guy's just, like, staring at my Bible. What's going on? And so the guy eventually says, hey, can I, can I see that book that you have? So he gives it to him, and the guy opens it up, and he's like thumbing through it. He's like filling the pages, and he's like, man, can I have this book? He's like, he's like sure, you can, yeah, you can have that book. Why, why do you want that book? He's like, man, these papers would be amazing to roll my cigarettes with. This is like the perfect paper to roll cigarettes. And so the missionary at first was like, I cannot believe you, man. Like, this is the holy word of God. What are you so, but then the missionary started to think. And then so the missionary responded and said, hey, listen, I'll make you a deal. Um, if you will promise me that you will read every single page before you tear it out and roll a cigarette, I'll, I'll give you the Bible. And, um, and, so, and so the guy's like, yeah, this is really good paper. Yeah, I'll do it. He's like, so you give me your, I got your word that you will read every page before you pull it out and smoke it. And so the guy's like, the guy's like yeah, I give you my word. This is great paper. I will read every single word if you will give me the Bible. So he gives him the Bible. A few weeks later, he's walking down the street and he sees the same guy and he stops him. He says, listen, are you keeping your word? You gave me your word that you were gonna read every single page before you ripped it out. And so the guy said, yeah, it's been absolutely made. I, I started with Matthew and so I read and smoked through Matthew and then I got to Mark and I read and smoked through Mark and then I got through Luke and I read and smoked through Luke and then I got to John and I got to chapter three and it all made sense. I got to John chapter three, verse 16 and I understood what it was all about. That God loves me so much that he sent his only son to die for me and to forgive me of my sins and I can have hope and life in him. And I prayed and I gave my life to Jesus. And the guy's now training to be a pastor. Now, listen. Yeah, it's amazing. God, God's word is powerful. Now, I'm not saying that we all need to take our Bibles downtown and start offering them as smoke papers. Although in Asheville, that might be a, might be a winning strategy. <laughs> the point is not that we need to do that. The point is that, listen to me, God's word is powerful. God's word has the power to absolutely take somebody's heart of stone and rip it out and replace it with a heart of flesh. God's word has the power to change us. Look at Romans uh, chapter 10. This will be on the screens for you. This is Paul writing again. He says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Verse 17. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through what? Through the word of Christ. How are people saved? By calling on Jesus. Paul says, listen, how, how can they believe in someone they've never even heard of? How can they hear about Jesus unless someone tells them or preaches to them? And then we get to verse 17, and he says, faith comes from hearing through the word of Christ. Now, does that mean that God can't save people however he wants to save them? Of course not. Of course not. We know uh, all over the world, right, right now, even today, 
in places where there are no Christians, there are no churches, there are no Bibles, God is still calling people to himself in miraculous ways. We're getting stories all the time from uh, missionaries that we're connected to. In the Muslim world, people are having dreams and visions of Jesus, and they are giving their lives to him. Listen, God, God can do whatever he wants, however he wants, whenever he wants. I believe our God is a God of miracles. And I am grateful that our God is way too big for us to put him in a nice little neat box that we can understand. I'm grateful that he's big. I'm grateful that he's mysterious. I'm grateful that he's powerful and he works in like these crazy mind-blowing ways. But what I'm saying to you this morning is that the primary way he speaks to people, the primary way he reveals his son Jesus to people, the primary way that people hear and come to faith is by and through his word. So we proclaim this word because God changes people through his word. And God is changing people all over the world and right here in our gospel family called New Life Church. Just last week, uh, we opened up the word, the Bible, just like we do every week. And we talked about a subject that could have been really boring. Like, I bet none of you are on the way to church last week and you're like, man, I, I just hope Chris is talking about baptism today. Like, I just can't, I've been dying to hear a sermon on baptism. Like, no, nobody thinks that. And yet over a dozen of you responded in obedience to God's word to be baptized last week. And listen, all I did was get up here and read the Bible to you. Like, how do you explain that? Hebrews chapter four, God's word is alive and active. I said, like, if you're wondering why we open up this book week after week after week, why does Chris get up there and open up the Bible and yell at us for 30 minutes? That's why. It's all I've got, and it's everything that we need. And that's why we do it. That's why we must continue to do it. My promise to you, as long as God gives me life, as long as he allows me to be one of your pastors here, we will open this book every week, and we will beg God. We will beg God to speak to us. We will beg God to change our hearts and change our lives by the power of his Holy Spirit through his word. And listen to church, he does, and he will, and he will continue to do it. By the way, if you're here and you're, you're a Christian, you're a believer, you're a follower of Jesus, this needs to extend beyond Sunday. You need to be in God's word regularly. I looked at a study this week um, and listen, this, this is huge. Listen to this. People who read the Bible regularly are far less likely to struggle with dangerous sin patterns in their lives. People who read the Bible uh, four or more times, so at least four times a week, are almost 60% less likely to struggle with alcoholism and drunkenness. 60% less likely. Almost 70% less likely to have an affair or some other type of sexual relationship outside of marriage. Over 60% less likely to be addicted to pornography. People that read the Bible four times or more a week. Those same people who read the Bible at least four times a week, get this, they are 228% more likely to share their faith with a friend. 228%. More likely to share the good news of Jesus with somebody they know and they care about if they're reading the Bible at least four times a week. Those same people are 231% more likely to disciple someone that they know. Friend, this is massive. 
This word is life to us. We find Jesus in these pages, transforms us, makes us better husbands and wives, better moms and dads, better friends and neighbors. And here's the sad reality. Look, nine times out of 10, as a pastor, when I have somebody come to me and they, they say, man, I'm, I'm struggling with whatever, pornography, I'm struggling with, you know, my marriage is falling apart. Nine out of 10 times, if I ask them if they're in the word regularly, are you reading God's word and praying on a regular basis? Nine out of 10 times, the answer is no. Nine out of 10 times, the answer is no. And here's my confession to you this morning. Nine out of 10 times in my own life, when I'm struggling spiritually, when I'm feeling depressed about something, when I'm struggling not to be a jerk to my wife, or a thousand other things that I struggle with, nine out of 10 times, I am not in the word in those seasons like I need to be. There is just something about immersing yourself in God's word, in his story, that changes us. Now, maybe it doesn't change your circumstances. Maybe it doesn't take away all your problems, but it changes us. And that makes all the difference. Understand this. This is the only book that will do that. This is a supernatural book breathed out by God. And we will root ourselves as a church in this book so that we can encounter God and find life in him. And one of the things that God tells us to do as a church when we gather together like this is to celebrate what Jesus has done for us in a tangible way by taking what we call the Lord's Supper. And so we're gonna celebrate right now. I'm gonna invite the band to go ahead and come up here. If you're here, you're usher. Go ahead and come to the tables. But before we do that, I wanna spend just a couple of minutes praying, readying our hearts to come to the tables as always, use this time to ask God to reveal to you if there are any areas of your life that perhaps aren't pleasing to him. So I just invite you right now to bow your heads with me. We're gonna pray for a couple of minutes. For some of you, maybe you need to ask God to help you believe his word. Or maybe, maybe you need God to, to, to just like help you begin to love him and love his word. Maybe you need to pray that God would give you a hunger, a thirst for his word, like, like David, King David had in the Psalms, right? When he said, God, I'm like, a, I'm like a deer who pants for water. I'm like a desperate animal in search for life-giving water. That's how my soul longs to hear from you, God. Christian, maybe that needs to be your prayer. Maybe that Davidic prayer needs to become your prayer this morning. God, give me hunger. I'm apathetic in my spiritual life. I want to know you more. I want to follow you. I want to hear from you. I want to know you and know you through your word. Maybe you're here and you don't really, if you were honest this morning, you don't really care what God has to say. You have no real desire to know God. You have no real desire or thirst to hear from him. And if that's you this morning, that's, I just want to challenge you. It's probably because you don't know him. Maybe you've never given your life to Jesus and you've never had him just invade your heart and invade your life and just train wreck your heart in the best way possible. Like he did for me 18 years ago as a college student. Listen, if that's you this morning, if you've never done that, allow me just to plead with you for just a moment. Don't leave this place before you come to Jesus. We're gonna pray in just a minute. I'm just gonna encourage you in that time, turn from your sin and turn to Jesus. 
Just in your own words, pray out, cry out to God. God, I need you. God, I I love you. I don't understand all this stuff, but I, I know that I need you. I need to hear from you. I need you in my life. I'm tired of doing this by myself. I know, I understand now, maybe for the first time, that Jesus came for me. And I want to give my life to him and I want to follow him. You just pray that out. And God promises when you do that, he will forgive you. And he will give you a new life. And he will make you a son. He will make you a daughter of the God of this universe. So wherever you're at in your life, whatever you're going through, no matter how good you think your life is right now, no matter how bad you think it is, I want you to understand, I really believe this, God has something for you this morning. God has something he wants to say to you this morning. And so let's just pray, bow our heads, pray for a minute in silence. You do business with God just for the next minute, and then we'll come to the tables to celebrate. You pray.